This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. We're going to come up with some branding for this podcast this season. Get started. Um, I tasked this with uh, Matt because uh, I do enough for this show, and this week um, I would like to just pass that off to somebody else at, at least some point in my life. I'd like to. Um, to to give some responsibility away, I think. And Matt, have you come through yet after one week? Um, I've been doing some brainstorming, but mm. uh, you know, I don't think I'm ready to bring anything public. You know, it's a uh, it's still a work in progress. I'll uh, I, I got a, I got a notepad going on my phone right now, so uh, we'll see. Okay, tossing some ideas out there, see if anything sticks. How many do you have at the moment? Um, let's see. I think I got four. Mm, okay. A three, three, and then two like kind of ideas, you know. So, not nothing like kind of an idea of a name, but not an actual name itself. So we'll see, we'll see what we can come up with. Absolutely, absolutely. So, how, how have you been? How was your week? Uh, it was excellent, man. I uh, can't complain. Excellent. Dream. How about yourself? I haven't described a week as excellent in a long time. Excellent and an I excellent mean, week is is a is strong. That is a strong <laughs> adjective. I mean, uh, economy, as far as, as, far as the Matt. standards, twenty twenty really uh, took your standards down yeah. of what an excellent week is. So you know, I um, I have no complaints. I know it's like it's a crazy time in the world, but um, my day to day life has been basically the same. Okay, and if your day to day life is the same, but you like that day to day regimen then things are good um yeah. so shout out to matt who bragging about everything going great for him while millions <laughs> of people suffering i mean just it's a bold move on his part to really uh, introduce himself to this audience is, not uh, that i'm not empathizing mm. with the well things that are happening to some people in the world of course or the, what I gathered from just that. the systemic injustices that are going on you know not that i'm not uh supporting everybody but uh my life has been basically the same, other than working from home, which is which is new for me. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, 
glad things are excellent in the 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 green household uh, <laughs> out there in uh, the sticks where football is happening. I think this weekend, right? Georgia high school football is back this weekend. I want to say. Um. Yeah, it is. It's um. Do you have your tequila season tickets lined up? I How don't did that have go? my tequila season tickets. <laughs> Uh, my fiance actually said, "You know, when the season starts, I want to go to a go to a game this year." And I was like, "Why? <laughs> like, I'm all over supporting the the community, but like, if I want to go to a high school game, I'm probably gonna like want to go to a North Gwinnett game. That's that's my uh, that's my alma mater. Not Tequila didn't do anything for me. No disrespect to the Falcons here. Wow, but... <laughs> it's one of the brothers. I think Philip Jones's brother is there, right? I think it's the coach at Brookwood." in the coach at tequila brothers i want to say oh is that right i honestly i didn't even realize that well as a georgia high school savant um i had bob's fire on this past weekend and that's a legend yeah i like him he's he's good he says my name a lot and um he also got confused and thought i was the chase thomas linebacker from walton um when i reached out to him and that was great because i probably should like part of me wanted to run with that and just pretend that that's who I was and just to answer his questions about that time at Walton and see if I could really get away with 30 minutes of me pretending to be a former NFL linebacker. Like that would have been a really cool thing to try out. Hey, um, no one can see what you look like here, but, uh, well, you see me. I I think you don't look anything like a former NFL linebacker. I don't know what you're talking about. With all due respect. You can't say with all due respect after that sort of comment. That's not how with all due respect works. I, and I hate those. Sure as heck does. No, it doesn't. You just literally, there was no respect there. That was all disrespect. And then you threw out with all due respect at the tail yeah. end of that. It's not how it works. Hey, that's how, that's how it works, man. It's like saying bless her heart about someone in the South. You, know, you, you say whatever you want about somebody. Why don't you say bless her heart, bless his heart. That's how it works. I, I shots fired um (laughs) little little aggressive out of the gate here matt excellent week coming at me for my lack of outside linebacker size just uh really coming at me coming at me for the jugular and i'm not the one who hasn't finalized the the name yet that's true on your part well uh I'll, i'll take it easy on you please i'm a very very gentle soul I don't handle criticism well. I don't handle attacks from friends very well. Can't do it. Very insecure. Can't handle it. Just trying to keep you on your toes, man. Oh, well. Speaking of keeping people on their toes, um, crazy story in the last 24 hours regarding uh, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten, who apparently had a call this morning with uh, the president and now it has come out that this call was set up by, uh, let me pull his name up here, uh, Tlay Kravis. I'm not going to go with the, the full real name here, so I, I think uh, that's correct. Um, I, I just, a lot of layers here. Nicole Auerbach has a really good piece in The Athletic outlining why this probably in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean a lot. Um, not a good day for the stick to sports crowd. Um, I would say one of their worst days because, uh, guess what? It's not how it works anymore. Um, when you saw all this and what you've read so far, what did you, what did you think? Because it seems like, uh, this just sowed more discord among all college football fans, among, um, 
just SEC fans versus Big Ten fans versus the the COVID truthers versus the COVID. Um, I don't even know what to call them. Alarmist. I, I don't know. Like all of this is awful, and COVID we should deniers. have seen this coming, uh-huh. right? Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there, but um, yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to know what to make of it. It's like if if this is happening now, it just I was wondering at the time why is the Big Ten jumping the gun to, to move the season to the to the spring anyway? You know, it's like it, with the, what the ACC, Big Twelve, and SEC did to just essentially move the season back three weeks. It's like you know that you can understand their logic. They're still trying to have the season. They just move it back a little bit. So. It seemed like the the Big Ten jumped the gun for sure a few weeks back when that happened. And now it's just, obviously, no one could have foreseen this just with how the different schools like Nebraska and Iowa and Ohio State and all these players saying they want to play. And it's just, and now the president getting in on it, it's, it's just been the wildest, the wildest thing I can ever remember. And the funny part is that no one's talking about the Pac-12. I was going to mention that's, that. Like the fact that the Pac-12 so is just forgotten it's like, about. It's it's like oh yeah, yeah, they're not playing. I don't I don't ever watch those games anyway. Right. So I don't, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, but do you know why? And I I don't know if I a hundred percent buy this theory, but something I saw um, thrown out there by sports writers I like and respect is that there are no swing states, and that if Nevada had a Pac-12 team, that they would be involved in these talks but because the big 10 has a lot of states that uh the president needs getting football back helps his bottom line the pac-12 coming back doesn't help anybody which i thought was both uh super shitty but also totally 2020 and understandable yeah that's definitely you can't when you just look at it on a map of the schools the where they've canceled the season or at least postponed the season. And obviously the Republican and Democratic states, it, you can't ignore the, uh, the parallels there. And that, that's definitely a valid point. I guess, um, I guess Donald Trump has already kind of, uh, accepted that he's not going to change anyone's mind in Oregon, Washington and California, but he actually, yeah, you're not winning the state. Wisconsin and Ohio and Iowa and those kind of states. That's a valid point. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens. My gut still says that it does not come back this fall. I do think the Thanksgiving stuff makes no sense. Like still, what are you playing for? It doesn't solve any of that. Um, and I still don't think spring's happening for anybody, uh, friend of the pod who will be on the pod every Thursday, as we can announce, um, once the, uh, the college ball season starts, Matt Wyatt, uh, former Mississippi state quarterback, now ESPN radio superstar out there in Mississippi, shout out to Matt. Um, he's been very adamant when we've talked is that like that spring football is just not happening. They're not signing off to two seasons in the same year. It's not happening. It's going to be JV if it does happen. Like that is that is just not a thing that is going to happen. And they are just kicking the can down the road just for um, the image and trying to save face, but no, not happening. And so I have a theory. I, I guess I have a theory as why, why, why do you, why do you think it's so different? Like what makes it, what makes the season starting in January, all these big time players like, no, no chance I'm risking playing in, Jan- in January through March. Well, you would, are you asking about the players who are going to be entering the draft in four months? Or are you asking about the players who are still going to be around to play in the fall? 
the ones who are most likely most likely you, you assume anyone who's sitting out is to prepare for the draft. So anyone yep. who's opting out of essentially making a business decision in the spring, most people I kind of have that same thought in my head. Like you said, it's going to be JV because it seems like a lot of big time players aren't going to want to play. But I'm why what what's the what's the distinction? Like why why do you think like if you were a big time player, you would play in the fall, but but you wouldn't play in the spring? Like what do you what do you think personally? If you were that big time player. Well, you know what's interesting is I think every big time player who's not a quarterback doesn't want to do this. Why Rondell Moore's gone, Bateman's gone, um, the defensive end from Miami is gone. I think quarterback's different for whatever reason and there's like a lot more pressure like i don't think trevor lawrence would be well received if he opted out like he has nothing to play for this year like he is just like just go ahead and pencil him for jacksonville if he does not play a down this fall but i think it's not the same rules for those guys like it for whatever reason would look bad for one of the top quarterbacks in the country to opt out this fall like they're the only ones who would get any kind of pushback i think um it wouldn't be fair but it would still for whatever reason look worse but um i don't know i think if it's it's so hard because i think every person has their own priorities and own wants and needs like Derek brown at auburn was different than how a lot of other guys were built behind the scenes and like how much auburn meant to him like it's just different from player to player so i don't know i i don't fault anyone but like if you were projected to go in the first or second round, you do not need to be playing football this fall. You just don't. And there's a really good piece in New York Magazine from Friend of the Pod, Will Leach, about college football barreling through the season. Um, and one of the under-talked-about points of this weekend with the Austin P Central Arkansas game, I don't know how much you watched. I watched the whole thing. Loved it. <laughs> However, the reason that there was a bunch of snaps flying over the punter's head it's because all three long snappers were not available in this game so they had like this first time linebacker throwing uh the ball to the punter because they mysteriously all were not around and austin p never announced what was going on in the middle of the week they just they were not playing and not available um most people assume it's a covid related thing if they came in contact or they had it themselves there's going to be this whole thing about like this arms race and coaches not being totally honest about who encountered it, trying to bend the rules to psych their team, uh, the opposing team out ahead of Saturday of who's available and who's not like, it's going to get messy. And I think we're not ready for just how messy it's going to be and how gross it's going to be with how certain coaches are going to manipulate the injury report to cause uh, confusion for opposing coaches. Like this is going to be, a weird fall and if i'm a top player i i don't want any part of this because i don't think college football has a unanimous idea of what to do unlike pro sports that have a have a cba have a union have a bubble in most cases like this is just going to be just a uh wild wild west this fall and i hope for the best but i'm extremely nervous yeah, I guess i guess the biggest difference when it comes to playing in the fall and playing in the spring is I guess the the lack of glory, for lack of a better term. Well, yeah, you're playing for nothing. We're not going to crown any of them the national champion. So if Ohio yeah, State goes really 10-0 no in the spring, Heisman, no one cares. Exactly. No one's winning a Heisman Trophy in in March. You know what I mean? They're not going to – that, all that's going to be in December or whenever, they, whenever the season actually ends. So I guess when you're not playing for national championship and you're not playing for, like, national awards and all-American teams, if – 
if you already have a first or second round grade, there really is no benefit to playing. But I mean, for a lot of guys, you know, like the Jadeveon Clownies, I remember that was a big uh, talking point when he was coming back for his junior year, when guys are just such can't miss kind of generational type uh, grades from the NFL draft. It's like those guys really don't have much to prove coming back for their junior year in a normal season. But it's just, I don't know. It's something about something about just it's the intangible things that really make guys play because they want to be with their team and they want to try to accomplish bigger team goals. But and and you hate to call those guys selfish because they're not getting paid a dime to play in college. And we've seen freak injuries happen, and you would hate to cost yourself millions of dollars for the future. So I feel like yeah, if I was playing in the spring and I'm a first second round grade, there's really there's really no reason to come back and watch. And I guess college football will have a much easier time than major league baseball. Cause I'm a big fantasy baseball guy. So setting my daily lineup and then all of a sudden like, Oh yeah. Turns out this guy's not, not available. And this other guy's pitching tonight, or you thought, you thought the Mets and Phillies were playing tonight, but now, or the Marlins, I know got had like five, six games in a row got canceled. And it's just, it's kind of thrown you off. But with, with college football just being once a week and I saw, was it central Arkansas mm. had zero players come back, test positive yeah. after. So that's like, that's a huge, a huge step in the right direction. For sure. But Austin P also had they, a weird injury report, missing long snappers, missing their best receiver. Um, Love the fact their quarterback was punting a bunch and that they had a 75 yard touchdown run by CJ Evans to open the game. And then they have like 35, their next 35 plays, they accumulated 75 yards total. Incredible. Wow. You love to see it. <laughs> um, but shout out to the Austin P generals, just a great, great start to the season for them. Um, don't understand why there are 13 teams of the like 135 in FCS that are playing this season and why they're doing this and what they're playing for no playoff but you know more power to them uh how how did this weekend shake shake up your uh FCS preseason rankings are you concerned about uh what this means for Central Arkansas going forward oh yeah I think I think Central Arkansas I think they still got what it takes to go all the way man yeah <laughs> What um have they said they're they're not having a playoff? Yeah, they're FCS? not having a playoff. No, I didn't realize that. Man, that's no so one else far is having away. a playoff. Like I'm still not convinced D1 is having a playoff. I really don't. I don't unless they do a bubble in like the Rose Bowl or something. That would be interesting. Like they just put them away for two weeks. I, there's there's you know at the end of the day, man, it's it's money talks, you know, and there's so much money in these bowl games. Like they're gonna play these bowl games. Like they're they're we'll gonna do it for sure. Well, yeah, we definitely will see. I I don't know. I, I nothing is certain at this point. Um, man, that would be a buzzkill. No one, no one. My luck as a Georgia fan. This is the year we go undefeated and win the SEC, and then there's no postseason. There's a, a disputed national championship. I can already feel it now. That would be a delight. <laughs> I gotta get this night. I gotta get these nineteen eighty uh, jabs off the table. It's uh, it's not gonna happen. Um, it's, it's, it's the go to. Uh, it's the old reliable insult when you're arguing with a Georgia fan on Twitter. Well, first off, never do that and never argue on Twitter. Arguing on Twitter is the biggest waste of time, and I see grown people do this all day long every day and i just 
I want to pull all of them aside and just tell them it's not worth it. You're wasting your life. It's it's all about how you do it, though. You know, if you're yeah, if you're throwing personal tags at people and like get, getting real mad, that's yeah, I'm not into that kind of arguing. But just having having sports debates amongst amongst rival fan bases, that's what uh, that's what SEC football is all about, man. Yeah, in person, not on Twitter, <laughs> where the characters are limited and people hide behind fake names and fake avatars and I, no, there no no thank you. Um, I feel- not without getting too deep on you me and my fiance were one time we were, t- we were talking about, I think I was about to say you met on twitter you were trolling her on twitter or something no like, who are about- you simp <laughs> no we were describing like i was describing like what my like ideal heaven would be or something right and you know i was describing however our house was and i was like and down the street i gotta have like a florida fan and like an ohio state fan and an alabama fan just so i can argue sports with them you know you gotta you gotta have that the variety i like the variety yeah it would get really boring just a street full of georgia fans because all you can talk about is like remember that time we almost won the national title you bite your tongue sir (laughs) but yeah which time you can't which great yeah he's great i love him awesome cool great great talk todd Gurley's great yeah he is cool me i agree remember greg blue he hit pretty hard yeah he did great talk That Greg is true. Bring thunder, though. But see, now I'm I'm in an area where it's just only Tennessee fans. So now I got to think about this. Am I going to get annoyed of just Tennessee fans only agreeing with Absolutely, one another? Absolutely, man. It'll be that'll be fun though because Tennessee they have such a wide range of outcomes. I feel like for what they could do this year. Like I think they're kind of on the way up, but like it wouldn't surprise you if they lost more games than they won just because it's a tough schedule I, I don't see that happening of course i mean that's a problem for Pruitt. if they go four and six like i oh that don't know is. but it's still early still early for him i don't think four and six is a possibility for him like for him to not have nuclear heat on him four and six is uh, is is a problem i would say yeah. Um, well, we're talking about the SEC West this week. Yeah, I'm bringing on the schedule like we did last week. Yeah, where we just we talked up the Tennessee Vols and those Vanderbilt Commodores, Ted Roof running that defense. Who who's not excited there? Um, <laughs> first up, Alabama Crimson Tide. They went 11 and two last year and felt like a down year. They played LSU better than anyone else did, and there's a case to be made that they were the second best team in the country last year. And they're coming in this year where people are like, I don't know, they have a chip on their shoulder. Like they were awesome last year. They just got decimated on defense with um, Dylan Moses being out. And now he's back, and you know there are questions at quarterback, but Mac Jones was pretty solid down the stretch. Um, you still have Bryce Young there. Uh, we'll see when he gets inserted in there, or if Mac Jones plays well enough, where they're like, you know what, we can just win without Bryce for so, this year. So which which camp are you in? Are you are you believing in Mac Jones, or you think Bryce Young becomes a starter? I don't think it really matters. I think they win the title with either. That's probably true. I just see I see a lot of people seem to talk like Bryce Young. By half, by halfway through the season, Bryce Young's going to take over, and I'm like, Mac Jones looked real good in the games they put, like in the few games he started last year. Like they were, I mean, granted, yeah, they have all those receivers, and they basically still do, and they have a lot of weapons. And I could see Mac Jones. Obviously, he's not going to put up two of numbers. I mean, maybe not, obviously, but I assume he isn't going to put up two of numbers. But I, Mac Jones, I think, I think, is one of the 
probably one of the top three quarterbacks in the SEC this year. Do you know who uh, Matt, uh, Matt Wyatt compared uh, Bryce Young to when he was watching his high school tape the other day? Who's that? He is a right-handed Tua. Is that right? Yeah. He's a little undersized. I know that. He's not ideal. He's not that prototype height and weight. No. Not a southpaw, okay. though. Um, I don't know. I, I just I don't think it really matters. And I think the offense didn't miss a beat with Mac. And I think when you look at the schedule, I, I'm not all that concerned that Mac Jones couldn't go undefeated. Like, if the over-under was 9.5 for Bama, would you take the over? How comfortable would you be betting on an undefeated Bama? Um, I mean, and that's if Mac Jones plays all ten games. I, I personally, I have them. I have them going ten and zero. So I guess I would. I'd have to take that. I'd right. To go like for- when people freak out about the Mac Jones stuff, and I'm just like, it's not that interesting because I think Bama is going to be fine either way. I don't think it's going to matter if it's Bryce Young or Mac Jones throwing to Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. Um, whoever like you're gonna they're gonna run the ball a bunch Najee Harris is gonna run the ball a bunch they're bringing back most of their offensive line they I mean Alex Otherwood is maybe the best left tackle in college ball like that's gonna help whoever the quarterback is um and we know what a difference a quarterback rating um is when the quarterback has time Mac Jones is gonna have time Bryce Young will have time I I don't know like their explosiveness rating which I always look at for offenses and just like big plays often define games when we miss out on them and we overlook them a lot. They were number three in the country last year. This offense was great. They're going to be great. They were 56th nationally in rushing, which I thought was odd with Najee Harris coming back, but he has a lot to prove. He didn't have to come back. Um, Trace Anders is back there. Like they have options and I think they're going to be better running the football. I think they're still going to be the top five in passing. I still think they're going to be top three in scoring. They averaged 47 points a game last year, and that included four Mac Jones starts. Like, I'm just, I'm not worried about them. I'm not at all worried about the Alabama Crimson Tide, and I think they're going to be just fine. My biggest concern, I guess, is their defense has a lot of new faces. The back four have a lot of new faces. The front seven has a lot of new faces. Like, I like their linebackers which is weird considering that was their biggest weakness on defense last year was just they got decimated there and it was a lot of youth. Now that's their strength. So I imagine um, Pete Golding is going to adjust that defensive personnel around and they're going to evolve kind of like what Brent Venables does every year, depending on who his personnel is. So I am excited to see what that defense looks like more than the offense. Cause like the offense is just going to be a well-oiled machine, very balanced. And I think the defense is going to, throw a lot of different looks as they try and figure out how to manage a linebacker heavy unit with a lot of inexperience especially on the edge yeah it it felt like one of the worst Alabama defenses since Nick Saban got there but it's like the standard for what an Alabama defense is is just so ridiculously high it's like they weren't the best defense in the country so it felt like they weren't that good but I think they were still top 10 and points per game allowed you know they're they're still Alabama, and as as long as Nick Saban's there, you know they're essentially the same team. And the linebacker was uh, was an issue for him last year, but it it really, like you said, it was really just the injuries. They have the talent on the roster to to be as good as anybody if everyone stays healthy. 
I was I for one was shocked that Najee Harris came back for his for his senior year. He just seems like the prototype NFL running back. They can catch it out of the backfield. He's he's a beast. Um, just carrying the ball. So I'm a I'm a big Najee Harris fan. I'm as a Georgia fan, I'm disappointed that he's still there but uh i have i'm i have high hopes for him and also Devonte smith i definitely he could have left and been maybe a first round pick probably more like a second rounder that could be why he came back but yeah i mean they're they're loaded offensively i think i think how would you say they were like 50 something rushing running the ball last year 56 yeah i think it's a little skewed just because of how prolific their passing offense was you know when tua was in the game it's like they would score in in two three plays you know it's like next thing you look up and alabama's throwing another 60 yard touchdown pass so it's almost like they were still if you look at the uh yards per carry they were still fourth in the sec in yards per carry so it's i think it was almost more skewed just their passing offense was that good they didn't have to run the ball which is a weird thing to say about alabama football yeah when you look at their schedule what do you think is the most likely loss? I think we're going to differ here. If you had to pick one, one game, because I don't think there there's like an avenue for them losing two. Um, if it's one, what is it? For um, you? I, I definitely think it's Georgia. Okay, I, wrong. Um, here's the <laughs> I schedule and there's just no real tough games on the road. I mean, granted, we don't even uh, know. Disagree, sir. Disagree. We don't know what the, know what the road. Oh, now, now I see which one you're pointing to, I'm sure. Where but, do you think uh, I'm going? What are you going, Rocky Top? No, going oh. out Tennessee. No, are you, uh, are you saying LSU then? No, I am not. Okay, that's why I assumed you were going to say it. So you're you got, you have to be saying Ole Miss then. I am. Okay, elaborate. Do you know who returns the most amount of uh, Letterman of anyone in the SEC? I'm gonna guess Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Do you know who's gonna benefit a lot of having guys who've been in the program for the last four years? Even though, it's, even though it's a new coaching staff yes like just having guys that know that area they know how to play college football they've been around they've played in the sec for years like i think teams that are not young that are not putting in a bunch of new starters because it doesn't matter like a lot of those guys have started and gotten snaps so a lot of their backups have gotten snaps for old miss in the past two to three years old miss and lane kiffin is gonna get up for this game. Okay, we know so that, Lane Train is gonna be, be a trap game. I could, I could. It's give you right some. in between Texas A and M and Georgia. Like that's it true. is a. You might can put it as a trap game, but there's no way you can say that's the toughest game on the schedule. Toughest game because they can easily overlook it. And Ole Miss has given them problems in years past. Like Ole Miss has beaten them in the past. Um, Hugh Freeze was like Nick Saban's like kryptonite. Hugh like Freeze the, is walking through that door, sir. Um. Well, maybe in some time because we don't know what's going to happen with Liberty down the road, down the road. But uh, I, uh, I think that's his toughest game. I think keeping his guys from looking ahead to Georgia and then going through a brutal game the week prior at home against Texas A&M because even even if they beat Texas A&M, as I think they will, that's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a bunch of skill talent. It's going to be very low scoring. It's going to be very close. It's going to be very brutal, very physical. They'll probably win like 27 to 20. And then they know they have Georgia, the biggest game on their calendar the week after. But they have to go to Ole Miss. They have to play a very annoying style of offense. They're going to get Coral and Plumley subbing in and out. You're going to see Lane Kiffin use some trickery. We're going to see a good offensive line there. 
we're going to see a lot of fun, a lot of fireworks. I could definitely see it being a fun game. I could see it being a, a 28-24 at the half time, at half. Yeah. And, and then Alabama, you know, went in 49, 49-31 or something and just kind of t- taking control of the game. I just don't, I don't see, I can see them giving them a little, some difficulties, like you said, because I'm still not, um, as not nearly as high as you are on, is it Matt Coral or Corral? It's Matt Coral. Coral. So I've never been as high on him as, as you are, but uh, John Reese Plumley, you know, they could he could be his uh, his Taysom Hill. Who knows? I think and, they're both um, gonna get action. It's gonna frustrate yeah. Saban. Lane Kiffin would love nothing more than to beat Saban to kick off his Ole Miss tenure. It's gonna be well. Fun. Let's see, I know we talked last week how Georgia has that tough stretch. I think that's one of the few things that benefits them is at least they could be a little tested with the Auburn game and then the Tennessee game to prepare for Alabama. So I think without a doubt, Georgia is going to be the toughest game on the schedule. It's it's they're mm. they're the best team with LSU rebuilding like they are. It's like the only reason you're saying this is going to be a tough game is because they're going to overlook Ole Miss. Well, so Ole Miss like, is talented. They're experienced. You do someone who's your toughest game. Toughest game. And it's bad news for Georgia if Ole Miss wins this game too, by the way. Like, go ahead and just be like, well, it's over. Because there's a 0% chance Alabama's losing back-to-back games. Ole Miss don't, remind, don't remind me, man. In, um, in 2015 is exactly what happened. Ole Miss beat Alabama the week before they played Georgia. And for some reason, when Grayson Lambert was the quarterback... And for some reason... The completion god. Georgia, yeah, the NCAA record holder. Um, for some reason, Georgia was actually favored over Alabama in that game. It, like, it ended like an 80-game streak of Alabama being favored or something. And that was when it was just pouring down rain. And uh, we got... Georgia got smashed that, that game. Brought in Bryce Ramsey for one play like to start the second half. And he threw a pick six. So like, all right, that's not working. It was a long, it was a long day in Athens, so we uh, we definitely don't want to see a Ole Miss upset the week before the Georgia game, and that would just, as a college football fan, be such a buzzkill. We want to see Georgia and Alabama going in 3-0, 3-0, like the number two and three teams in the country, heavyweight fight. Next up, Arkansas have not won an SEC game in years. Went three and nine, zero and eight in the SEC last year. Sam Pittman, your guy, his first season. This was the only job he was going to get yes, as a coach ever. Like, he had to take it. I don't blame him for taking it. He had, like, the best opening press conference of any new coach. Meant a lot to him. He's easy to root for. Him hiring Kendall Bryles makes it harder. Um, I, I've i been going back and forth where it's like Rakeem Boyd came back. Rakeem Boyd is a very good running back. I think he is someone that should run for over a thousand yards. He can do stuff out of the backfield. I like their secondary a lot. I, we talked briefly about their QB room. A lot of what you think about Arkansas this year is really just, do you think this offense can be just not sizzling enough, but like just a little tantalizing enough one Saturday to get an SEC win. That's all they need. If Arkansas fans, like you're happy if you go one and nine, right? Like if you can get one, you get one just to move in the right direction because their offense last year sucked. They're 110th nationally in scoring, 85th in rushing, 103rd in passing. Like, I don't see a way where this offense doesn't improve with Sam Pittman working this, with this offensive line and then Felipe Franks being better than 
the Sam Hicks of the world um, at QB last year. Like, I would not be surprised if the offense is a lot better this year. The offensive line's a lot better. I mean, they bring back all their receivers. They bring back Boyd. I I would not be surprised if they're a little bit feistier than people think. I don't think they're going 0-10, but I'm not sure who that one or two teams they're beating are. Like, who are you penciling in as an Arkansas win, or is there just no avenue for you to pencil in who, an Arkansas win? Who right am now? I penciling in for a win for Arkansas? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have one. I don't, I don't have one win on the schedule. I feel like... They're getting I, somebody fired, right? Like, whoever have, they beat, that coach is fired. That's possible because all those coaches in the SEC, when they're looking at their schedule, trying to figure out the wins and losses, obviously coaches take it one game at a time, as we know. But they, um, they're they all penciling Arkansas in as a win. So uh, that, that five-win season they thought, if they lose to Arkansas, turns into a four-win season, oh, that's, that's not going to be good. I think their win is against Missouri on the road. That's what I was I was going to say. Missouri or Mississippi State. Or I like Mississippi State early where they're still figuring out the Mike Leach offense. I think one of those two is very doable. Yeah, I feel like those are the only two. Like Ole Miss, Ole Miss is probably, Ole Miss or Tennessee are probably the next worst teams, two worst teams on their schedule. Like this, they just have a gauntlet of a schedule and I just don't see them. I don't see him winning any games. Sam, Sam Pittman, I think, is the best offensive line coach in college football. I know, he's not a miracle worker. You know what I mean? He's I, In his first year at Georgia, they had Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, and still that that team could, couldn't move anybody on the offensive line. So it's it's going to take Sam Pittman getting some some big-time offensive linemen into the program to, to do what he wants to do because – you know, we, we obviously just speculated last week kind of about what Arkansas is going to be because you just assume with an offensive line uh, pedigree from the head coach that he wants to be a ground-and-pound type of team. So it's just if that's what he wants to do, I think that's kind of what Jeremy Pruitt wants to do, you know, kind of build that that traditional, more traditional offense instead of that high-octane offense. And I think it, it takes a couple years to build well, the that. The problem with that is Tennessee can get those guys year in, year out, and Arkansas can't. Exactly. Tennessee at least has the tradition that, like, we, we haven't been good in a while, but you see this stadium, you see the, the, the trophy case. We, you at least know it's possible to accomplish big things at Tennessee. It's Arkansas. It's, it's been a long time. Not to, not to take, credit, not take any credit away from uh, Bobby Petrino. That wasn't that long ago, but it's uh, Arkansas just seems like a, a real work in progress. And I just, I don't see them beating anyone in the sec this year. And, and to your, to, to debate your point of their, their loaded quarterback room, I'm going to have to, Hornsby is going to be good. He's a player. Kenny Jefferson is a player. Felipe Franks could be a player. Is he, is, have you heard anything from Lee Hornsby in, in, in practice or anything is he is he gunning for the spot or is no, this I mean, all- he's not going to play it all this year it's going to be Felipe Franks and KJ Jefferson if anybody but Malik Hornsby is coming and I would not be surprised if he's starting next year he's a really really good player I just know Felipe Franks had a much better supporting cast in Gainesville than he will have in Arkansas yeah and I wasn't impressed with him in Gainesville personally he's he was decent his uh 
in uh, 2018, but uh, he took a huge step forward from 2017 to 2018. But I was just personally never impressed with Felipe Franks, and it's going to be much more difficult at Arkansas. And I think they're in, they're pro- they'll probably end up starting a couple different quarterbacks throughout the season. Uh, who, who knows, really? I think if they can just be fun, that's huge. Cause like that year last year, talking to Pete Royer of Haw- the what is the Hogs blog that he the there's a lot of different Hogs blogs, um I think it's a two four seven one but, um, it was just demoralizing <laughs> like n- getting beat like seventy to nothing like when Vanderbilt loses seventy two to ten to Bama at home on their homecoming like it's just like what are you doing, it's just not fun to be there and even watch it like if Arkansas is just fun, if Felipe Franks is competent this wide receiver group is good. The offensive linemen who are returning with a lot of experience are good. Rakeem Boyd runs for like 1,200 yards and catches for like 300 yards out of the backfield. And he's like a legitimate Heisman guy. And he makes fans think about Darren McFadden on Saturdays. That's all you can really ask. Cause the schedule is <laughs> off. Those are some, those are some huge ifs. I think Darren Rakeem McFadden Boyd's a second, third round pick. Like he's gonna, like, he's obviously not Darren McFadden, but like if he has flashes and he is exciting and he rushes for 130 yards a game, like that is a huge win because that is so much better than what they were a year ago. And if they're in these games, even if it's only for three quarters, like that's huge. Like they're not going to be in the game against Bama. They're not going to be in the game against Auburn. They're not going to be in the game against a lot of these teams, but if they can keep it close for a little bit and they can score with some of these teams and show that the offense is making strides and that they are moving in the right direction and they have an offensive identity that doesn't suck ass. I think that's huge. Oh, without a doubt. But uh, Rakeem Boyd, you know, he was good last year. <laughs> that, that didn't make the team good, any good. You know what I mean? So he's he's good, you know, and he's still going to be productive, I'm sure. And I'm sure uh, Pittman will have, you know, uh, make an emphasis to run the ball since he is the best player on the team. But um, I just I, I don't see them having anything else to uh, – teams are probably going to stack boxes against them because – they just don't have anyone at quarterback that's going to scare anybody this year. Speaking of stacking the boxes, because you're a little bit nervous about the quarterback, uh, Auburn. Bo Nix, five-star, dad played at Auburn. I was high on him coming out of Bama. He showed flashes. He's a gamer. Not like his opener against Oregon, throwing the bomb in the end zone to Seth Williams. Very memorable. Beat Oregon. Neutral site. Big win. Very up and down. He was awful in the first couple quarters against Georgia. Comes all the way back. Almost beats Georgia. Like, he is very mercurial. He is someone that I have no idea what his ceiling is and what he's actually going to be. You bring in Chad Morris. We'll see. The weirdest thing about Auburn is, I think, in the Gus Malzahn era, is that Kevin Steele is the most important person in that program. And without him... Gus Malzahn does not have a job in the SEC right now. Kevin Steele is what keeps them going. Derek Brown is the one going in the top 10 in the draft. They are putting out top-end defensive talent. They're not putting out top-end offensive talent. They Running back U has fallen by the wayside. They brought in Tank Bigsby, who will be starting after um, Booby Whitlow transferred into the portal. Um, Bigsby looks like he's going to be one of the better running backs in the SEC. But we'll see how much he can do early on. Um, you still have the sprinter that is just awesome to watch and Anthony Schwartz like him stove and Seth Williams is a very loaded receiver grouping 
Like, that is a very talented group. <sighs> They're replacing literally everybody in the offensive line. Everybody. They are going to be good defensively. We know that. But they lost their leader in Derek Brown. They lost talent all over the place. And I just... I think we're penciling in Auburn to be like challenging for the national title. I think a lot of people are like, this is a team that if everything goes right, they should compete. They were 87th in passing last year. Chad Morris really struggled at Arkansas. Are we sure Chad Morris is good? Are we sure Gus Malzahn is going to let Chad Morris call plays? Are we sure that losing Davidson and Brown is not going to really hurt this defensive line? Are we sure that Bo Nix is going to be better because people just assume sophomore better. It's not how it works. Progress is not linear. Some quarterbacks just get worse as they get older for whatever reason. Some have two bad years and then they're a Heisman candidate the third year. We don't know. DJ Williams might be great. Who knows? I am concerned and I think I am lower on Auburn than other teams. What do you think? Yeah, I think Auburn is is the epitome of the team when you talk about the wide range of outcomes like you have no idea what to expect from Auburn on a year in year basis but especially this year because it is kind of strange how Gus Malzahn's entire identity is you know his his offense his creative offense but Auburn's identity has been the defense that's how they've been winning games that's why they were so good that's why they were played with everyone they played with last year I think they honestly played LSU better than anyone in the country did last year and it was because of Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown. And I think that's why they're going to take a step back is because they don't have that same production. I mean, you have K.J. Britt. He's an elite linebacker. But to lose two big-time defensive linemen, like they had the best defensive line in the country last year. And I don't even think it was close. And it's, it's, hard. it's hard when you were winning with defense to lose all lose as much as they, as they lost. And then um, the first-round pick at corner, who's esca- my, whose name is escaping my mind right now. Oh, he's but, also returning punts. Had a nice little punt return to uh, start the uh, Minnesota Bowl game. That was just the um, – not Rashad Bateman. Uh, what's his name? Steven Johnson show where he just went off. Um, his name is very hard to pronounce. Yeah. Igbenogini. Yeah. I feel like that was respectable. Respectable. I don't know. Apologies to that. Uh, to no, that what was his name? It's uh, it's long. Oh, Ig- Igbenogini. Yeah. Noah. Yeah, Igby. Let's just call him Igby. There you go. But um, so they lost a lot on defense, and I felt like the defense was definitely the strength of the team their entire season is hinging on how Bo Nix develops. And under Gus Malzahn, almost every quarterback gets worse. And, and like his, the longer he's in the system, it's like Jared Stidham was good in 2017 by 2018. He was, he was awful. Honestly, I'm, I was shocked that he left uh, early for the draft and was even drafted. I was, he the, he has the talent, and I remember NFL scouts talking about Jared Stidham that he has all the talent, but that all, Auburn has like the worst uh, system ever for a court for developing a quarterback. But that's not my words, of course. I I I'm not I don't know the, the systems that well to even say that. But I remember NFL scouts saying that, and so it it all hinges on Bo Nix. It's is he. I feel like you said he was a gamer. I feel like that's what people say about the quarterback when they don't know exactly what to say about him. You know, I don't he's know like, what to say about him. He's he good, he like but he doesn't like, shy away from the moment. Like he wasn't scared at all 
against Oregon to open up. Like, true freshman, not concerned. Like, that dude has no fear. He can be down 31-3 to against Georgia, and he's like, no, nah, I got this. He He's definitely a chuck it and throw it up guy. He is not concerned about completion percentage. Like, I don't think that's sustainable. I think he has to clean a lot of that up, but, like, I don't – I really have no idea other than I know that dude's going to do everything in his power to win on Saturdays. That's it. I do know that that dude cares. He gives me a real Connor Shaw vibe. What do you mm. think about and I feel like everyone goes Steven Garcia a little bit. <laughs> you think so? That's that's a big that's a big difference in South Carolina. Well, Steven Garcia uh, was like good, attention. but he was like crazy and threw the ball over the place. He just uh, exactly. a guy like Steven Garcia is probably the best South Carolina quarterback of like the last twenty years, right? I would say South Carolina fans have to say Connor Shaw. Connor Shaw was he was that dude, the gamer that you know get those scrambling yards say, and what's your never... favorite connor shaw forward pass what's my favorite connor shaw forward pass i, I don't have one yeah i because he rarely did it <laughs> oh i gotcha <laughs> I, I wasn't following there but but yeah yeah he he really gives me a connor shaw vibe because i mean he started every game last year he throws 16 touchdowns and six picks it's like as a freshman that's definitely solid especially when he over 300 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground. So he's definitely uh, – he's one of those guys. He's He just seems solid. But if, if they're going to win anything, if they're actually going to make an SEC championship game, he's going to have to be, I would say, probably the best quarterback in the SEC this year just because we've talked about there. And this is a, a pretty unproven crop of SEC quarterbacks. He's got to be the one throwing you know, 25 touchdowns, five picks – another five, 600 yards on the ground, 10 touchdowns, something like that. That's He's going to have to take Auburn to another level because losing Booby Whitlow, I think I think that's a pretty big loss for them. I, I mean, they did they do recruit well, and they brought in Tank Bigsby, so we'll see. Maybe they can just replace that by committee. But um, I think I think their whole season hinges on how, how much better Bo Nix gets this year. All that said, you look at their schedule, and I'm like, I don't see how they don't go 8-2. It's a very, very I, uh, doable schedule. Very, I, I very doable. I don't have eight and two. Well, I they got, have Kentucky at home to start. That's I a win. win. On the road, Georgia loss. Home in Arkansas, win. Two and one. At South Carolina, win. At Ole Miss, win. LSU Not home, so fast, win. my friend. Oh, no. See, I, I'm, I'm predicting an, an upset in there. At Ole Miss, I'm, I'm, taking, uh, I'm taking the Rebels. You have Ole Miss beating Alabama and Auburn the same season. No, I don't have Ole Miss beating Alabama. Well, that's because you don't know things. <laughs> you might have Ole Miss beating Alabama, but so we just have it flipped. Do you have we? Then we both I, weirdly believe in Ole Miss. I just believed in Ole Miss, like getting one of those, you know, like getting a big game that they shouldn't this year. That really is. That's the one I have them getting. But um, and then I I got LSU beating them, but I mean at this point. We'll get to LSU, but <laughs> I don't know who's going to be on the roster for LSU, so that's probably a win. I might sh- I might need to update this. I I just you look up and down this list, and I, I don't even if you do that, like LSU, we'll get to in a second. Like I think that's a win. At Mississippi State, win. Tennessee at home, win. Even though Tennessee won the last time they were in Auburn, um, so who knows and what Tennessee looks like by the end of the season. But then at Bama, loss. Texas A&M at home. I think that's a win, but that'll probably be brutal depending on 
Um, that's just that. Honestly, going from Tennessee to Bama to Texas A&M, that is murderer's row into the season for Auburn. I think there's there it is, but I guess that A&M game, I kind of I kind of lose that one. Um, kind of forget about that one. But I was thinking the season really progresses kind of well for them because in recent history, Georgia Georgia's kind of dominated Auburn in the last decade or so. So kind of putting that game at the start of the year before Georgia kind of gets gets going and, and gets their new offense implemented, I think that like that game sits in a good spot for Auburn. And so you have that game early, and then obviously I'm predicting Ole Miss to be a loss, but that is an upset. It's really more of a trap game than anything. So, so you got Arkansas, South Carolina, and Ole Miss. It, it kind of works your way up. This And obviously if LSU has anything, it seems like if they can get past Georgia – and go two and zero, they might could find themselves at eight and zero, going into Tuscaloosa. So I think the season does work, does uh, play out well for them. But ending at, it, it'll just probably feel so weird for Auburn fans if if they beat Alabama. It's like that's that's their Super Bowl more than anyone in the country. I feel like a regular season game is a Super Bowl. The Iron Bowl is Auburn's Super Bowl without a doubt. And if you win that game and then somehow were to lose to Texas A&M the very next week, that would just be the ultimate buzzkill. Yeah. I Texas A&M is going to be a buzzkill for somebody. Like, I don't know who it's going to be, but they have too much talent not to be a buzzkill for one of these top teams in the West. I just don't know who it's going to be. Um, LSU, who uh, is turning over, let me check my notes here, everyone on their roster. Um, <laughs> I am super low on them i think they had the best season of all time i think the lsu fans will have that forever i don't think they're building a dynasty i don't even think they're going to be a top three team in the west this year i think miles brennan has not been all that interesting i think losing joe brady is huge i don't think scott linehan is gonna do the same kind of stuff that uh, joe brady did i think they're not gonna be bad they're not gonna fall off the end but replacing him replacing their defensive coordinator with Bo Pelini coming back to Tiger Stadium. Shout out to him. I just, losing Jamar Chase, losing Jefferson, losing their running back, losing their quarterback, losing everybody. Like, Patrick Queen, like, you just go up and down the list. Like, everyone's gone. And in a season where you didn't have a spring ball, you're already limited in the summer, I just... If I'm an LSU fan, I'm just watching tape from 2019, which is all they play on the SEC Network, really, anyway. So go do that. You were number one in scoring last year, number two in passing. Enjoy it. But, like, I think this defense was sneaky not very good anyway, and they're replacing a lot. I mean, obviously, a lot of four and five stars are replacing them, but when I look at this LSU team, I think they're going to have a lot of problems, and it's not going to be nearly as fun this year as it was a year ago. Uh, Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you already knew – I guess the people who pay close attention already knew that they were going to take a step back anyway, just because, I mean, you never, you, it was just such a perfect storm for them last year. I mean, they might, that might've been the greatest college football team of all time last year. Like we, we don't need to get into the debate, but it was just unbelievable how many points they scored. It just, they just scored at will. Joe, Joe Burrow was just unreal last year. So I, not to not to hate on Ed Orgeron or anything, but I really I just refuse to believe Ed Orgeron became an elite 
head football coach overnight. Like we, we know what Ed Orgeron is like LSU recruits. It's, they have some of the most talent, one of the most talented States in the country. And they, they seem to lock down the talent in their home state better than any state, any other school in the country. So the talent is always going to be at LSU. And so maybe he can do enough as the CEO to always have him in contention. But I feel like this, this narrative that, you know, Ed Orgeron figured out how to make LSU a high powered offense. I really, I'm not buying it at all. I think he got lucky that there was a quarterback as good as Joe Burrow that wasn't starting on another major college football team and chose to come to LSU. And then he, he brought Joe Brady in to fix the offense. So he does deserve credit for that. But I just have a feeling LSU is just going to go back to doing the same stuff they always did with less miles and just having all this talent in the world and just kind of not knowing what to do with it. Cause they don't have a quarterback. Like I, I uh, it's, it's kind of the narrative people use on Georgia that, they're they're stuck in the stone age you know with offensively but i feel like lsu really always has been they've been significantly more talented in the skill positions than than most teams in the country and they just never seem to have a good offense until 2019 and it's just going to be impossible for anyone to to follow what joe burrow just did it's just and then the fact that you don't have any of the the pieces coming back like i mean at this point if I was Derek Stingley, I'm like, well, I might as well sit out too. Everyone else is sitting out. Like, I'm, I know I'm just a sophomore, but it's it's unreal. They already what they have 15 guys drafted last year, so they already knew they were losing a lot. And then to have what are we up to four or five players that have opted out? It's I, I originally picked them going seven and three, but I I might have to might have to walk that back a little bit. Yeah, I think it's if they go seven and three, it's gonna be a very painful seven and three and a very uninspiring seven and three. Yeah, because you look at, I mean, the three losses I had at Florida, Alabama, and at Texas A and M is who I originally picked. But yeah, you, you never know. You, you had Auburn as a loss, so that's yeah. that's a six and four season, and and then six who knows? Four feels you, right to me. Maybe Mike Leach coming out. You know, who knows that first game of the season? Like at this point, I don't even know who's going to be on LSU's roster. So and, LSU, and it's and they have the advantage in the quarterback the, room for sure. Like I would pick KJ Costello over Miles Brennan in Week One. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And at, at this point, it's got to just be demoralizing for the locker room to know that there's some guys that could be out there with you that aren't here. You know, maybe you go down a couple touchdowns in a game, and that could that could start to snowball. So, I don't know. I, Ed Ordron is gonna have he's gonna have the test, the biggest test this year of any coach in the SEC probably. On if if this team wins eight games, he probably deserves SEC Coach of the Year. Interesting. Next up, our team, the Ole Miss Rebels. Um, <laughs> they went four and eight last year. People forget they went four and eight. Um, they are deep in the skill position category. Matt Coral, John Reese Plumley, Jaron Ely is going to be someone that I think a lot of people know about very quickly. I think that he has like the biggest breakout potential of anyone in the SEC that people do not know about yet. Um, you have Jonathan Mingo, you have Elijah Moore, you have guys there. Um, Braylon Sanders is back, returning a lot of offensive linemen. The whole linebacker core is back. Um, I 
I'm excited about this team because they were ninth in rushing nationally and 82nd scoring. The passing was a problem, 102nd. So as much as you love John Reese Plumley, Kiffin's not going to tolerate 102nd in passing. Like he's just not. And I don't see an avenue with John Reese Plumley being under center the whole time. That getting better. Jeff Levy, I don't think that's what his go-to is. Um, Deke J. Durkin, can't believe he's back on a college sideline, but um, he is going to be a co-DC here. His DC, his defense, defenses are good. They're going to be leave, good. I leave, don't it ex- to Kiffin, leave it to Lane Kiffin to get him back on the sideline. I know. Uh, <laughs> there was a possibility it was going to be Kiffin, Bryles, and Durkin. I mean, just <sighs> all time there. Um, I think Jonathan Wingo is going to be a star. And I think Jaron Ely is going to be a star. And then they're going to figure out this quarterback situation. And um, they got another Clowney coming in. <laughs> they got uh, Demon Clowney, which all-time name, Demon Clowney. He'll be there soon. I think it's I think it's Demon. No, right? it's it's Demon. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've I've actually uh, inserted uh, my own call here, and I have decided that it's uh, Demon Clowney. Um, also better for branding. They're gonna play multiple schemes <laughs> you know on defense. You're going for it. <laughs> I. Uh, I'm just excited. I think this offense is going to be one of the best in the SEC, and I think uh, they're going to be fun to watch every weekend. Um, it's it's hard. I I st- I kind of agree. That's why we we both have them have them getting a big upset here in the season. I I agree that they're an intriguing team. It's it's hard to say they're going to be one of the best offenses in the country or in the SEC just because the quarterback position is such a, a question mark because. Like you said, John Reese Plumley was amazing running the ball last year, but you got to think Lane Kiffin is going to want more than four touchdown passes from his from his starting quarterback. So, so Matt Coral, if he's the guy, maybe he can be the one that uh, that that leads this offense. But with what Plumley did last year, I feel like you got to use him in some way, right? I mean. He he can't just play running back. Is is I don't think he's he's that athletic. I think I think he's a, he's very athletic for a quarterback. But I don't I don't know. Could you just sit, stick him back there and tailback and just just run a run a little option with him? I don't know. Kiffin's going to be smart and Levy's going to be smart, and I think they're going to do interesting stuff here. Um, and I think people just have the wrong idea of like what Kiffin is as a coach. Like he's sixty two and thirty four as a coach. Like he's good. He doesn't lose often. And I think he's going to be the best coach Ole Miss has had in a long time and would not be surprised if he has more success earlier on than people, people expect. He, he seems to fit Ole Miss. Yeah. Just their, their, their social their, media, their bro kind of mentality that I feel like Ole Miss, they kind of have in Oxford, you know, he Joey seems, Freshwater making a return. He seems to kind of fit them, but I have a hard time. The jury's definitely still out on Lane Kiffin. Like I was I think a so. What is out? He's won a national title. Like he Saban brought him in to fix Saban's offense. He did that. I, I mean, mean USC man. That's when he got to he USC. Wasn't bad. That's one of the powerhouses in college football, and he they basically would kill to ground. have him back. Say that again. They would kill to have him back. Who would prefer Clay Helton over Lane Kiffin? Yeah, I don't know. Those. I think you're. You're, I think you're you're remembering those USC years a little more fondly than they were. He, I uh, think USC is a low key hard job now, and he was. Doing- were, uh, I think now it is. It, it didn't. I think I think professional football being in Los Angeles 
really hurts USC. I think that was like the biggest appeal that USC had was that they're the pro team in a big time uh, city like Los Angeles, you know? But now it's like you got the Rams, the Chargers. If USC isn't, isn't any good, USC doesn't have the same fan base that some of these uh, blue bloods in college football have. It seems like a much more passive fan base. Like it was cool to like USC. So all the celebrities liked them, but when they got bad, you didn't hear about the celebrities anymore. You know what I mean? I, uh, I, I was a believer in what, in what Kiffin was building at Tennessee originally because he was he was ruffling some feathers. He was he was talking shit. Other SEC coaches were getting mad. Like he was the players were buying into it, but the way he just bounced like a couple weeks before signing day, it just it kind of showed his colors, you know, and that kind of set his reputation like long term. I think he's kind of still and then obviously the sanctions and everything he left at USC. I think he still has that same kind of reputation that Seems like a, a shady coach, or at least he's going to bend the rules a little bit. You don't know what you're getting. He's a wild card. But uh, he definitely had success at Florida Atlantic. He definitely deserved another big-time job. He, never, he deserved another shot at another, at least pretty prominent. I don't know how big-time Ole Miss, where they are on the – if you if you're ranking the jobs in college football, they're, they're top 50. I don't know if they're – a top 30 job, you know, it's a, it's a respectable job in the SEC, but it's, it's not going to be an easy job to win at. You know, it's when you're, when you're at Ole Miss, yeah, you had all the big teams on your schedule, you know, every year, year in and year out, you're going to have LSU and Auburn and Alabama and Texas A&M. And so we'll, we'll see. I, uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm not as sold on Lane Kiffin as you. We'll, we'll, we'll see what he's able to do at Ole Miss. That's a tough place to win. Speaking of tough places to win, Mississippi State. Great segue. That's why I'm a professional. <laughs> I they went six and six last year. Not a great fit with Moorhead. Just was not the right culture fit. Jim Moorhead being in the Pac twelve running the Ducks offense. Seems right. Feels right. Yeah. Mississippi State didn't want a Yankee down here telling them what to do. I don't even think it was that. I think it was just the... Because Dan Mullen's from Pennsylvania, and he's the best coach in Mississippi State history. Um, I think it's just more... <sighs> that offense was ugly, and they he could not figure out the quarterback position. And Moorhead was brought in to be an offensive savant like what he was doing at Penn State got him that job and he's putting together these awesome Trace McSorley offenses and then he just didn't have the guys at uh, Miss State and you're not gonna believe this Garrett Schrader was not the not the answer at Mississippi State last year um so Mike Leach is like yeah we're not doing any of this we're not staying in house I'm just gonna go get KJ Costello four or five star from uh Stanford damaged goods huge looks the part we'll see I am like Leach is so weird where him going nine and three in the Pac twelve at Washington State and playing in important Apple Cups and stuff like that was part of the deal. He obviously develops quarterbacks better than most co- coaches in the country. Anthony Gordon's down the Seahawks, like Gardner Minshew was a Heisman candidate. We know what he can do. I still think it is going to be damn hard for this team to do anything in twenty twenty. I I think KJ Costello is the most upside of any quarterback that we're not talking about right now. I just think if I had to bet on any coach to do more with less and do more with a 
less uh less than ideal offseason it's the pirate and fans are just gonna like this because you know why it, it didn't work out you know it's not fun to watch in the sec a good defense with a 109th passing offense and that's what a mississippi state was last year they just could not throw the ball forward it was ugly SEC fans, SEC fans will take not pretty as long as you're as long as you're winning games. It's when you're going five hundred and not pretty is unbearable. Yeah, you can't do that. It is. Uh, people don't want to go to games, and Mississippi State needs people going to games. You need to sell tickets. Mike Leach is going to sell tickets. Gotta have more cowbell. Add more cowbell. Their number one recruits out of Atlanta. Actually, they're running back to Coebius Marks. Um, I think they are going to be a fun team they're gonna be spunky kylan hill is a star and had a big offseason getting that flag chain shout out to him um i don't know this schedule when you look at it you're like ah I'm, maybe they can get a couple in and you're like oh this schedule is not good for them but it's not terrible it could be way worse it's not arkansas schedule so if we go through it they open at lsu we talked about that i think that's a loss own one arkansas at home i think it's a win one-on-one on the road at Kentucky is not terrible. Like I don't. It, that's a toss up. Let's go ahead. Let's let's give them a win. Two and one. Texas A&M at home. Texas A&M's offense might suck. Kellamon, who we'll talk about last. What if their offense just sucks and Mississippi State just outscores them? Whatever. Probably a loss. Three and two. At Bama, loss three and three. Vanderbilt at home, four and three. Auburn at home, loss four and four. At Georgia, loss four and five. At Old Miss for the Egg Bowl, probably they're going to be. Both teams are going to be flirting around 500 at this point. I'm going to say it's a loss, 4-6. and six. Missouri at home. I mean, I, I think 500 is a possibility for this team. They could go 5-5. Five and five. So you're giving them 5-5. Five and five. I, uh... I think it's a possibility. I think 4-6 and six is probably the best case, is probably what happens, but I think 5-5 five and five is on the table for them. Yeah, Ole Miss and, uh, and, and Kentucky are definitely those two toss-up games. I guess you're, you're giving them... You're giving them to them, or being I'm giving them one. At least going for okay, splitting that. Yeah, yeah I you still have Vanderbilt. You still have Missouri. You still have Arkansas. I I think they're gonna steal those. Yeah, and I wonder how opening at LSU. I wonder, I wonder if that's gonna be a good time to to catch LSU. You know, we yeah. I think we're, we're talking about Ole Miss like they could be the fun team, but. Mike Leach definitely has a track record. You know, you know what my, Mike Leach offense is going to look like. And KJ Costello, you know, he's not going to blow anyone away at the NFL Combine, but KJ Costello is a quality, quality college football player. You know, so I think if you just get a competent, experienced quarterback in Mike Leach's system, he might get have some success and and beat a couple of those teams that he shouldn't. Would not surprise me. Last up. Texas A&M, we've been waiting on them to break out for a while. Didn't win the Zach Evans sweepstakes. No. TCU, because, sure, won the Zach Evans sweepstakes. Um, not Georgia, thankfully, though. Um, Daryl Dickey running that offense. Mike Elko, Notre Dame defensive coordinator legend, running that defense. Um, they're recruiting at an elite level. They're recruiting at a national title level. They are still... 17 and 9 in two years since Jimbo's been over there. Jimbo's 132 in 10 years coaching. I. So much of this comes on these offensive skill guys. It depends on how much you like these guys. How much you like Jamon Osmond. 
How much do you like Kellen Mon? Who you can make the case has gotten worse <laughs> over the last couple of years. How much do you like Jalen Windemeyer? Are you concerned about the defense? Do you love the cornerback room? Because the cornerback room is strong. Jalen Jones is a bona fide dude, true freshman. Mylon Jones, Miles Jones, excuse me. Very good. Like their secondary, I think, is going to be good. They return their entire uh, um, linebacking core. Their defense is going to be good. I just, this offense is just bleh. And they have too much talent now for this offense to be bleh. And I don't know if it breaks through this year. We'll see. But I think you really, Jimbo, this is a big year for him. And I think he needs, with LSU down, with a lot of uncertainty in the SEC West, with Mac Jones being there at Bama, like you have an opening. This is an opening for A&M to really break through. And they're the team that could really just be like, you know what? People are talking about Auburn. Could they run the table? It's like A&M, you can make the case, has better all-around talent right now, more returning talent. <sighs> I just can't do it. Until I see it, I can't pull the trigger on Texas A&M. Yeah, I almost – you you started to talk me in to picking Texas A&M to do more with everything you're saying about – everything they got and i feel like that's what we say every single year about texas a&m you just look at their roster and you're like you know this team this team could win the west and then you look up and once again they're eight and five i i swear i swear they go eight and five every single year i don't, I don't know if that's accurate well, i think they but should I, be required to go eight and five every year until they replace uh texas back on the schedule because the fact <laughs> that those two teams don't play each other anymore is stupid it's a sham, man. It's it's a joke. That's one of the, the better rivalries in all of college football. But but oh yeah, look, so the last let's see, the last six years they've gone eight and five four times, nine and four once, and seven and six once. So literally the last six years they average exactly eight and five. But I think, granted, only only two of those are, are Jimbo Fisher. Is that is that right? Just two. I think so. So um. I think this is ultimately this this is definitely the year. I think you may you hit the nail on the head. This is definitely the year for Jimbo Fisher. And I don't mean this is the year that I'm picking them to win the SEC or anything, but this was without a doubt the year it's either put up or shut up. It's like we're we're sold we're sold this Kool-Aid from uh from Texas A&M every year and and people are drinking the Kool-Aid every year and then it seems to not work out. So I think for te- for Jimbo Fisher, whenever you see people rank the the top coaches in the in college football, what are there four four active coaches that have college that have national championships? It's a very small list, and so you oh what, now I'm five with Mac Brown being back, and so it's just a very small list of coaches that have actually won a national championship. So it's almost like people when making this list, you're like, well, you kind of have to put Jimbo up at at five or six, you know. But after a while. Maybe he just had the one really good team. I mean, he had a couple good teams at Florida State. I don't want to sell him short, but it, it just seems not like, like he didn't win a national title or anything. He definitely won a national title, and the, and that Florida State team was big time. And the next year, I think they went undefeated until the uh, until the playoff. But it's for for Jimbo Fisher to continue to be talked about as one of the elite coaches in college football. He just this is the year that the, like you said, that the SEC West is wide open. LSU is replacing so much. Alabama is not nearly as of a known commodity as they usually are. No one ever knows what Auburn is. So it's like this. This is the year that A and M. If they're not going to win the West this year, I just 
I'm not sure I see Jimbo Fisher ever winning the West. You got a senior quarterback, by far the most experienced quarterback in the SEC. And I was a huge fan of him as a sophomore. It seemed like he was taking the steps to become one of the better quarterbacks in college football. You know, he's, he's got that mobility. He seems to scramble well and, and make plays with his, with his legs and make, make uh, good throws on the run. But he just he just leaves so much more to be desired. It's like it's like you see that he has talent, but they just the for whatever reason the offense is just not nearly as productive as it should be. And Kellen Mond seems like he he's he's regressed. So if if they're gonna do something, Kellen Mond has to at least look more like his like his he was as a sophomore. But I don't know. He's he's got. I think I think we. We all know what Kellen Mond is now, and I think that's why you're seeing less and less people drinking this Texas A&M Kool-Aid because it's almost like, I don't want to be burned again. I I thought they were going to be good last year. I thought they were going to be good the year before, and they just kind of keep doing that same thing to you. So Texas A&M's a really interesting team, and I, I, I still think in 2020 it's going to be another year that's like, yeah, they're good, but nah, not, not, not competing for the conference good. All right. Well, who wins the SEC West? I think it's uh, – I'm going Alabama, 10-0. I can't. I can't shake it. I think Bama just steamrolls everybody, um, which is fun. We have not had a fun Alabama team in a while, so it's good that those uh, Bama fans get to have a fun year. And I'm not sure they necessarily steamroll through the schedule. I think uh, I think the SEC West is going to be competitive this year, but I, I think – I just I'm not necessarily a believer in the in in Texas A&M, LSU, or Auburn necessarily taking that next step, and so I kind of think, kind of by default, Alabama is just going to continue to be better than all those teams. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add here before we go? Oh, uh, I think that's all I got, man. It was a pleasure. What are we doing next week? Where are we going? Oh man, that's a uh, that's a good question. We gotta we gotta do some brainstorming. We gotta get we go we gotta Big Twelve get... or ACC next. I think we go ACC. We can go ACC. ACC Coastal, America's favorite division. ACC Coastal, the best division in college football. People forget. All right, we'll do ACC Coastal next week. Matt, thank you as always for the time, and uh, hopefully we'll be back with a an actual name for the branding next week. Yes, sir. Let's hope so. Chase, it was a pleasure. I'm going I'm to uh, start saying your name more often so that you'll like me as much as you like Bob Spire. <laughs> he, loved, <laughs> like, he loves saying my name. He said it like four or five times on the podcast. Like He, he made sure to like mention it, and I don't know if it was to like remember who he was talking to. Where he, if he just said I mean, it, he was just, he's just buttering you up, man. He's a salesman. You were, you were eating it right up. You're like, oh, yeah, this, this guy likes me. You know, he... He likes me, so he must be a pretty smart guy. <laughs> so this will be the last episode of the College Football Podcast with Matt Green. Um, hope he enjoyed himself, but this is where we say goodbye. Matt, goodbye. Goodbye, sir. Until next time. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. 
To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.